Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Hey, we've been, uh, we're in this series called Encounters. We've been talking about what happens when a truth, either an old truth or a new truth for us sometimes, has been brought front and center into our lives. And suddenly we're forced to view life through this new truth, and life sometimes looks a lot different. And you don't have to be a religious person to go through something like that. You don't have to be a religious person to have a defining moment. It can happen in your relationships. It can happen in your marriage. It can happen with your family. It can happen financially. When suddenly the reality of a situation, you just can't avoid it anymore. There's a truth there. And it forces you to recognize it and deal with it. And all of us are kind of experts at ignoring certain truths, and we're pretty good at, at ignoring red flags that are waving and, you know, the signs and warning whistles that are going off sometimes. We just don't want to face up to reality. And suddenly something happens. We read something or somebody says something to us, and we're forced to face the reality. And there is this aha moment. We have a decision to make. Either we can embrace the new truth, something that is clearly true and something that is not going away, or we can close our eyes and continue to ignore it and pretend that it isn't true. And maybe if we ignore it long enough, we hope it will go away, or we hope it will take care of itself. It seldom does. Throughout Jesus' ministry, many people had encounters with him, and they had these defining moments. They, that we've been talking about this, this moment where people were talking to Jesus, and Jesus, the words that he said and the truth that he gave, the light was so bright that, you know, it's like walking into the sunlight, you have to let your eyes adjust to it, and, and uh, he did that. He came to clarify and redefine for them what God is like. I mean, imagine being the one who is going to come show people what God is like, what a huge task that is. And in many cases, once he clarified for them, their lives were changed forever. But in other cases, they refused to face up to what they knew was true, and they encountered Jesus, and their reaction was to go the other way. Not everyone followed Jesus. And the challenge for you and me is this, will we stand in the bright light of the truth of Jesus and wait until our eyes adjust to that light so that we can see better and it enhances our life, or will we retreat back into the darkness and the shadows, that which we know and that which is comfortable to us, and yeah, it's kind of gray and you know it's not perfect, but at least we, we kind of know a little bit more in that environment, what will we do? Today, uh, we're going to look at the book of John, chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, take it out and turn to John, chapter 9. We're going to be in the Bible all through the talk today. Um, This is truly an expository message, which means that we're going to basically take one chapter. John John, uh, basically devotes one chapter of this story um, to his epistle. And we're going to learn today this truth. And I'm going to repeat this several times today. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You don't have to have all your questions answered to believe in something. And and the lie that some of us buy into is when we struggle with, especially when we push back on Christianity, because, you know, Christianity gets presented to us in a lot of different ways, and probably three-quarters of the ways that Christianity is presented to the world, I would change if I could. In fact, I would just take it away. Um, I, I know people mean well, but quite honestly, there's people out there doing way more damage than good sometimes in the way they're trying to talk about Jesus. And I appreciate their heart, and I appreciate their sincerity, but, you know, sometimes I just want to go, 
Don't do that. Um, sometimes when we get presented with Christianity and we struggle with it, what we're doing is we're saying, I've got questions that I need to have answered, and I've got to have them all answered. Every question's got to be answered before I can embrace faith. And, and maybe you've been brought up into a mentality that says, unless I understand everything, I can't believe in anything especially when it comes to God, especially when it comes to Jesus. And what we're going to discover is you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. John 9 has a very funny story in it. It's in the New Testament. I doubt that you think the Bible is very funny, but this is a funny story. And John devotes a whole chapter to this story. We get a lot of detail, and we discover this powerful, life-changing truth with this young man that you don't have to know everything to believe in something, that even though there's some things that are unexplainable, there are other things that are undeniable. But as you begin to embrace the undeniable, the unexplainable uh, does not shipwreck your faith, which is what happens oftentimes. Sometimes when we, we have things that can't be explained, we allow those things. We focus so much on that that it just completely destroys our faith. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, this this story really is so good that that I could just read it and we could go home. Don't hold your breath for that, all right? This is too good to not preach a little bit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read along, and then I'll just interject as we go. But most of this really is we're going to be reading in, in the book of John. Um, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, and here we go immediately with the misunderstandings about God. Many, many people, all of us have some misunderstandings about God, and you're going to see what some of them were in the, in the first century. Uh, Rabbi, the, the disciples are asking Jesus this, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And see, that's, everybody has a misunderstanding. That was theirs in this time. They, they thought that if there was a, a physical ailment, they thought that if, if you were born blind or if there's something like that going on, that either you had sinned or someone you knew had sinned, that, that something was going on there that wasn't good. And so his disciples see this guy born, born blind, and, and they, they, that's the question they've got for Jesus. Did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus answers. Um, and he's going to shine a little bright light on things, and it's going to be hard to kind of, we're, we're going to have to adjust. Neither this man or his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happened, and just a heads up here, this is going to rock your theology a little bit. This happened, in other words, this guy was born blind. This man has spent years in the dust as a beggar. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I don't know about you, but that bothers me a little bit, right? I mean, if we settle in on that for a little bit, that kind of bothers me, but I'm not going to pause there very long. I'm just going to leave that there. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, to which I think the disciples are saying, what? And I think Jesus would say, yep, this isn't about anybody's sin. This is so that God can get glory. This is so that God can do something amazing and get glory for himself. Now Jesus is going to launch into a little teaching time. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And I think this is one of those teaching moments where the disciples are talking to Jesus. And this is, a, I mean, if you're really looking at the way this plays out, it's like Jesus takes this immediate right turn, okay? He's talking about one thing, and then all of a sudden, he just goes completely down another path. 
And the disciples are left kind of scratching their heads, you know, and it's like, and, you know, one minute we're talking about this guy and he's born blind and whose sin is it? And next thing we know, you're talking about this thing about the light and the dark and, you know, Jesus, what is going on? What are you talking about? Here's what Jesus is saying and here's why it's so important. He's saying, guys, it's, it's day because I'm with you right now. When I'm gone, it's, it means it's darkness. When I'm gone, your ability to understand is not going to be as good. You better pay attention. You better take notes. You better know what's happening now while the light is with you because a time's coming, I won't be here. And I'm counting on you to take the light to the future generations. It's going to be up to you. So pay attention. We don't have a lot of time. I'm only here for a little bit, and and you need to lock in and and, and get ready for future generations. And he makes this very kind of arrogant statement. I mean, really, if you're looking at it, I am the light of the world. That's, you know, that's pretty big. And I think the disciples might have been tempted to say, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not. There's only a 100 of us. You know, there's us 12 and a few disciples. You've got kind of following you around. I mean, you're not real big. Nobody, not a whole lot of people know who you are. Light of the world? Jesus, nobody knows you exist. I mean, Rome is the light of the world. Greek philosophy would be the light of the world. You're a carpenter. What do you mean you're the light of the world? Reminds me of the story of Tom Watson who founded uh, IBM. And the story goes that when he was getting ready to launch IBM, he walked into the kitchen where his wife was, and he said, Honey, I've got the name for my new company. And she said, What is it? And he said, International Business Machines. She said, Babe, you're working out of the garage. He said, I know, but the company's going to be International Business Machines. Okay, That's what you call big vision, and, and that's what Jesus has. Jesus has big vision. Here's Jesus. I am the light of the world. And the disciples are thinking, you're really not the light of anything. And then Jesus does something to illustrate to those who are standing there that he is not just throwing words around, that he's, he's serious about this. Verse 6 starts with this little phrase, after saying this. So he's connecting what he just said to what he's about to do. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, you, you just have to stop for a minute and be that guy. You know, don't read the Bible and not do that from time to time. Stop in this moment, close your eyes, and imagine that you have been blind from birth, and you're talking to this guy and you're locked into his voice, and, he's, and he, all of a sudden you hear him spit. That's an unmistakable sound, right, when somebody spits. And you're like, what is he doing? The next thing you know, he's putting this paste on your eyes. I'm just going to say it for the room, okay? Gross. That is gross. That's just gross. Jesus, what are you doing? Verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. It's a word that means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, this is, when, <laughs> this is when the fun begins in this story. This is when the narrative kind of takes a completely different turn, and he goes home. He doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. He's gone to the pool to wash his eyes, and it's there that he gets his sight back. He has no idea what Jesus looks like. Immediately when he sees, he makes a beeline for home, and he goes home to see his family. Uh, so he, he washes in the pool, now he can see, makes a beeline for home to show his parents, because suddenly he can see, and this is a big deal to him, imagine 
you haven't seen your whole life, and all of a sudden your eyes open and you can see. That would be a monumental moment for you. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this story. Now he shows up in the neighborhood, and here's what we find out, verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. So here's what's so strange about this story. Here's a man who's been blind from birth. We don't know how old he was. We know he was living with his parents. He's, he's headed, you know, out for the day. He's healed. He, his life has changed, and an argument ensues. That's him. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And he's going, yeah, it's me. It's really me. And this whole argument's going on in the neighborhood around him, and he's trying to get everybody's attention to say, no, 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 it really is me. Meanwhile, they're back there going, I don't think it's him. No, I really think it is him. And he just wants to scream in the middle of all of this arguing. They don't understand how a blind man could be given his sight. They don't understand. It doesn't fit. They, they have no explanation. They can't explain it. How did it happen? I don't know. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Verse 10, how then were your eyes opened, they asked. And you know what he's thinking when they ask him that. How were your eyes opened? He's thinking to himself, who cares? I've been blind my whole life. This guy opened my eyes. I can see. Don't you see that I can see? I mean, you've known me. You've seen me begging in the street. And now all of a sudden I can see. Who cares what how he did it, and, and, you know, I was thinking I might get a little attention. I was thinking I might have a little celebration. I was thinking we might have a party for me. I was thinking that maybe, you know, that we could make a big deal out of this, but all you want is an explanation. How then were your eyes open, they asked, and, and he, he, he doesn't really know. Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus, you can kind of hear this, you know, this, he's just kind of reciting what happened, but he can't explain it. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And it was gross and I didn't like it. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see, but who cares? I can see. I don't know how it happened. I can't give you the explanation. I'm not a doctor. It doesn't make any sense. He puts mud on your eyes and you can see. That doesn't make any sense to anybody. But I can see. Verse 12. Where is this man? They asked, huh? Well, where is he? Where's who? Where's the guy that put the mud on your eyes? Who cares? Who cares? I can see. I've been blind my whole life. This guy touches me and now I can see. All you want to know is how, how, how. And this is pretty much the catchphrase for the whole passage when he says this. I don't know. I don't know. Let me just help you this morning. It's okay to not know. It's okay to not have every answer to every question. When I was in Bible college, this will tell you a lot about me. I was petrified of getting out and getting into ministry because I didn't think I was going to be very good at it. And I thought people were going to be mean to me, which it hasn't been the case. And my big fear was I was going to get out and not have the answers to the questions. That was my big fear. And and my real hope was that that I was going to graduate from college and get my diploma, and in the two weeks between the time I was supposed to go to the church that I was going to serve and the time I graduated, I was really hoping Jesus would come back 
That's what I was hoping. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. And so, you know, I was a youth pastor for many, many years, and it was okay because I could kind of buffalo kids, you know, and I could make them think that I had the answers to things when I really didn't. And, um, but I always dreaded that time when I would see other, the pastors, you know, like the big pastor go by my office, like when he was going to funerals. I used to see Bill go by funer- my office, and I would think, oh, I would hate to be him. And now I see Ryan walk by my office on the way out to a trip, and I think, oh, I would hate to be him. But, but I, I didn't want to get into ministry because I was afraid I wouldn't have the answers, and I was afraid somebody was going to come up and ask me a question, and I would look foolish. Am I describing anybody? Is that you feel that? I, I hope they don't ask me because I don't know my Bible very well, and they're going to ask me a question, and I'm not going to have the answer. It's okay. It's okay to say, I don't know. This guy is being quizzed by these people, and he's just basically saying, I don't know. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from. I don't know how he did it. I can see. Would somebody get me a cake? Can we have a party? Can we celebrate a little bit? Then you come to verse 13, and this is where if we had music to the sermon, we would have the dragnet theme right here. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind, been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Jesus, you should know better. You should have known better than to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. Let that sentence sink into you for just a minute. You should have known better than to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. Are you kidding me? In other words, they're looking at Jesus and saying, who do you think you are? Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Poor guy, he's going to recite this story again. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Is this where we celebrate? Is this, can we finally have a party? Where's the band? Can we have a parade? I can see, but they have questions. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. And and this is where this gets a little tricky for us. Let me rephrase that for you. This man is not from God because we know what God is like. We know how God works. We know when God works, and God doesn't work on the Sabbath. And as long as we've been alive, we've never seen somebody been born blind and be healed. So we know that, I don't know how that happened, but we know God doesn't do that. So, so we know that because we've got God in a box and we understand how God works, we can explain it all to you. And so anything that happens outside the box can't be from God. We don't, can't really explain it, but, but that's our problem. We can't explain it. And so we're not going with that. What has happened doesn't make sense to us in our view of God. Therefore, we know it wasn't God. And we read that and we think, what a bunch of narrow-minded, arrogant, egocentric people. To think that they would know so much about God that they think beforehand they know what God's going to do and what God's not going to do. See, it didn't make sense to them. And they couldn't explain it, and because they couldn't explain it, they refused to believe it. 
the second part of verse 16. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So they're saying, so you're saying he can't be divine because he did it on the Sabbath. So, so he's not God, but it's a divine miracle, but you're telling us he's not God. We're confused. We don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Somebody needs to put it all together for us. Meanwhile, the blind guy is standing over there saying, I don't care. I don't, can we just celebrate? Can we have some? I mean, I can see. Finally, the blind guy is going to get some more attention. Not really the kind he wants. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. In other words, we can't decide. You tell us who you think he is. The man replied. And I think he said this maybe with a, with a question in his voice. He is a prophet? I don't know. I haven't seen him yet. He sent me to this pool. I washed this stuff out of my eyes. I instantly could see. I ran home. I don't know who he is or where he is or where he came from. I've never seen the man. I don't know. I can't explain it. All I can tell you is that I cannot deny the fact that I woke up this morning and I could not see, and this man did something, and now I can see. Can we just celebrate? Verse 18, they, the Jews, still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now, this is kind of where we live. You know, this, this place of, you know, since I can't explain it and since I've never seen it before and I don't think God would do that, I don't think a good God would allow that. How many times have you had that conversation with somebody? I don't think a good God would allow that, therefore I will not believe anymore. Because I understand God, and I know how God's supposed to work, and and he's not operating inside my box, so therefore I'm not going to believe. Because my belief is based on my ability to understand and put all the pieces together. My belief is not based on what is undeniably true. A blind man can see. So they called in his parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We want an explanation. And this is where this gets a little tricky. Verse 20, they give their response. We know he is our son. Isn't that true, ladies? When you give birth to him, you know they're yours, right? They are yours. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. So those things we know. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, say it with me, we don't know. We don't know. And they're thinking, and we don't care. He can get a job. He can get off the couch. He can see his life is different. Why are we having this conversation? He was born blind. It broke our hearts. We realized when he came out of the womb and he could not see that he would not have a childhood like every other child in our neighborhood. And our hearts were broken. Now he can see, and you're interrogating us. Why can't we just celebrate the undeniable? Why are we so hung up over the inexplainable? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. I think you should underline that in your Bible if you're following along. We don't know. 
Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already, and and before you get too critical of, of the Pharisees, this is us. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now we read that they were going to put him out of the synagogue, put them out of the synagogue, and we think, well, that's not really a big deal. Understand that the threat of being put out of the synagogue was life-changing, life-altering. It was the worst thing that could happen to you. Here's what it meant. It meant that you were declared a heretic. It meant that you would not be allowed to participate in temple worship. It meant that you would not be right with God. It meant that you couldn't offer sacrifices. It meant that you would not be able to attain atonement. It meant that you would be a social outcast. It would affect you financially. It would affect what, you, what kind of jobs you were able to get. It would affect you socially and who would hang out with you and who would talk to you and who would marry your kids. It could affect where you live. It could, it, it, you were being basically thrown out of society and you were categorized. And these Pharisees had decided before they ever looked at the evidence before they ever looked at what was undeniable, they had already decided anybody for any reason that professes that Jesus is the Christ, we're not going to have a trial. We're not going to look at any evidence. We're going to cast them out of society. You will be excommunicated from the synagogue. So here are these poor parents. They want to celebrate what's happened with their son. They are so excited. They want to celebrate with him and talk about Jesus. But they, their hands are tied. On one hand, they've got, to, you know, they've, they've got to acknowledge that Jesus did something, but on the other, if they go too far, they are kicked out of synagogue. That is bad, bad, bad. And they're just saying, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Ask him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. To which you'd ask him, how do you know that? Well, I'll tell you how we know that. Because we know what God does and we know what God doesn't do. We know what God should and should not do. We have God in our box. And what's happened is, has happened outside of the box and we can't explain it. So we know God's not involved. We've decided that it's not a divine miracle. This man is not of God. He is a sinner. Now, you've been healed. You need to give glory to God and quit giving glory to this man, Jesus, who is a sinner. That's really the message from the Pharisees. And then you've got to love this punchline. This guy replies back to him. Verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, and here it is again, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. In other words, I don't know if it's the proper time to heal. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he's from. I don't know how you can expect God to do one thing or another thing. Doesn't make any sense. I don't know about the whole mud thing. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. But there's one thing that is undeniably true, and that one undeniably true thing counterbalances all the things that I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. And it doesn't really matter to me. 
if God is supposed to act that way or not, and it doesn't really matter to me who he is or where he's from or what happened, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. What is undeniably true for me to say is that this man is from God because I can see. Because once I was blind, now I see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? In other words, we want to know. We got to download all the information. We got to have all of the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. We got to know all the details, what and how and why, what and how and why. We can't embrace it as true until we understand it, and we can't put our faith in it until we can explain it. And he answered, I've told you already, poor guy, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? (gasps) Blasphemy. You seem so interested. You seem so committed to the details. Is it that you want to be his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. They were nicer to him when he was a beggar, when he was blind, than he is now, than they are now. Now God's done something that they don't understand, and now things are out of control. They can't explain it. They're doing everything they can to get God back in the box because God has obviously jumped out of the box. And they're discounting what is undeniably true. Undeniably true. I was blind, and now I see. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. That was a big deal to them. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And since we don't know and since we can't explain, it must not be true because we are the keepers of all truth and we are the ones who know everything there is to know about God and God didn't do this because God would not act this way, so we don't believe. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from yet he opened my eyes. In other words, it's pretty evident where he comes from. I can see. Only God could do that. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. This is this guy still talking. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Excommunicated. You know what that meant? No parade, no band, no party, no cake. You're out of here because it's unexplainable. Yes, it is undeniable, but it is unexplainable, and we are going to focus on what is unexplainable and not on what is undeniable. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, keep in mind, this guy's been born blind, he has no idea, he's never seen Jesus. I I imagine he recognizes that voice. Don't you think that if you've been blind your whole life and, and someone had healed you, you would remember that voice for the rest of your life? And Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? <laughs> this is great. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Don't you need some kind of explanation? Nope. Don't you want to know how this all happened? Nope. Don't you have some questions that you need to get answered? Nope. 
Nope, see, I used to be blind, and now I can see. You're the guy that did it. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. You tell me what to believe, I'll believe it. You tell me where to go, you point in a direction, I'll go in that direction. You healed me from my blindness. I've spent my whole life in the dark. I meet you, my eyes open up, I can see. You say it, I will do it. I don't care how it works. Verse 36, this man responds, Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, would you explain to me how the mud thing works? And would you explain to me how you can get away with doing that on the Sabbath day? No, that's not what the man said. Lord, I believe. There's a lot I don't understand. There's some questions. There's some things I can't deny. I got a lot of unanswered questions, but but I can't deny what's happened to me. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Do you know when you doubt? You doubt when you get laser focused on the questions that are unanswered. You doubt when you've got some missing pieces. You doubt when you're looking at the puzzle of life and there's a piece missing and you can't find that piece. That's when you doubt. We doubt when God doesn't act the way we think God ought to act and when God doesn't do what we think God should do, certainly what God would do if I were God, right? That's when we doubt. When God doesn't do what I think God ought to do, my my faith begins to shrink. But when I focus on what is undeniable, my faith soars even in the face of unanswered questions. And what I'm finding as I get older is if if I would just go in faith and if I just look at what I know is undeniable, it is amazing how many of those unanswered questions either get answered or really don't matter in the long run to me. You want undeniable truth? (laughs) Walk outside and look around. And tell me where that came from. Now, I have this conversation a lot with people, and I, I'm willing to, I'm going to have a, I'm going to say some things here that may make you uncomfortable with your pastor, okay? But I'm just going to say it. I don't care whether you're a Christian or whether you're an atheist. When it comes to origins, we've got some issues, right? Let me just show you what I'm talking about. Man comes up to me and says, Where did all this come from? And I say, God? Well, where did God come from? Well, he's always been here. Yeah, but where did God come from? He's just always been here. Now, that sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? Until we go to the other side. Where did all this come from? There was just nothing, and it just all appeared. And I'm an idiot, (laughs) right? Because I believe in God. I mean, On either side of that debate, it's a faith issue. On either side of the origins debate, there's a problem. I believe, and and most people believe, that nature screams that there is a creator. I would look at that and I would say, it seems pretty undeniable to me. You know what else is undeniable? 2,000 years ago, there comes this guy named Jesus. He is a nobody. He's born in the middle of nowhere. And he begins to teach some strange things. So what? A lot of people have taught some strange things. 
And he did some miracles. So what? There were other people in the region at the time that were purported to have done some things that were pretty hard to believe. Jesus isn't the only one that ever claimed to do miracles, and he's not the only one that, that ever had miracles attributed to him. So that's really not the big deal either. This man died on a Roman cross. We know that from human history. And there were people who wrote about it who were there and saw it. And they died for what they saw. They didn't die for what they believed. They didn't die for what Jesus taught. They didn't die for some vision that they'd had. They died because they saw Jesus nailed to a cross, and three days later, he was gone. And he appeared to some of those people. And they, they died for their faith. Now, when I say they died, we hear that and we just go, oh, they died. No, let me tell you how they died. The, the legend is, and, and, and I, I don't know that we can prove this, but there's pretty good, there's, there's, the story is widely told. That Peter, they were going to crucify Peter, and he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way my Lord was. Would you please turn me upside down? They crucified Peter upside down. They cut men's heads off. One guy they dipped in tar and set him on fire. All because they would, they would not renounce, I saw him raised from the dead. And they, you know, they're getting ready to dip him in the oil to light him on fire. You better change your story. It's about to get really bad for you. You really didn't see him, did you? Yes, I did. It was undeniable. And I don't have all the answers to all the questions, but I know what I saw, and it was undeniable. You know what else is undeniable? That the message of Jesus has spread all through Europe and has spread all around the world to the point that today, one-third of the world's population believes that Jesus was crucified and that he rose from the dead. One-third of the world's population believes that. The Jews tried to destroy him. The Romans tried to destroy him. People throughout the ages have tried to destroy the, the, the story of Jesus. Even to this day, there are people who try to destroy the story of Jesus, and yet we know more about Jesus today than any person who lived in history. Why do we even know his name? How in the world did his message survive all this time? Why did these people give their lives? It is undeniable evidence to me. This arrogant young carpenter's son said, I am the light of the world. I am the lamb of God, and I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep. And no one should have ever really taken him seriously, but they did because he rose from the dead. And 2,000 years later, we still worship him. You know what else is undeniable? That inside every single one of us, there is a thirst. We all thirst to know the truth about whether or not there is a creator. There is a part of us that longs to know if there is a God or not. And what happens is we get so focused sometimes on those things that we can't explain and the questions that we don't have answered that we just will not look at what is undeniable. And we say, if I can't explain it, I can't believe in it. I was 15 years old. My dad had bought, it was an old car by this time, it was a 68 Ford LTD, four-door, sweet, four-barrel, that car would fly. 
And I was 15 years old, getting ready to learn how to drive. My sister was was uh, four years older than me, and she was the one. You know, parents, you know, when your your oldest gets their driver's license, they become the taxi driver for you. You know, it's that sweet moment when you realize you don't have to drive them everywhere all the time. You can send you can send your 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 son or daughter to do that. Well, M- Melissa, my my sister Melissa, w- was doing that for me, and I was getting ready to go somewhere with her. And the problem with this 68 LTD that we had was it had a flywheel on it and some teeth on the flywheel were missing. And when you would drive the car and then you would put it in park and, st- and turn it off, sometimes the flywheel would stop in the area where there were no teeth on the flywheel. So instead of getting the car fixed, which would be my boat, you know, to get the car fixed, um, my dad decided that he would put a long-handled screwdriver in the, in the little compartment there on the, on the um, drivetrain hump, you know, I, don't know what, I guess that's what's called, the drivetrain hump. But anyway, I'll never forget this screwdriver, green-handled, long screwdriver. And whenever we would have trouble getting the car started, in the rain, in the snow, we would do this, pop the hood, get under the hood. Mom would say, Brett, get out and go, you know, turn the flywheel. And I'm out with this tr- screwdriver, manually turning the flywheel so this car will get into the teeth and it'll start. And that's how we would get the car started. And, I'm, and it happened that day, and M- Melissa said, Brett, can you turn the flywheel? And when I got done, I said, I can't drive. Melissa said, why can't you drive? And I was, I, up until this point, I'd been so excited about learning to drive, I was going to finally get to drive. And it hit me that day, I can't drive? Why not? Because I don't know how to fix this car. If this car breaks down, I don't know how to fix it. And Melissa said, Brett, do you think I know how to fix it? I'd never thought about that. She said, Brett, I drive this car every day. I don't know how to fix the car. If it breaks down, I'm going to call Dad. I don't know how to fix the car. But there was something in me that felt like you've got to be able to explain it all. You've got to be able to know. And until you've got all that stuff In here, you're not allowed to get behind the wheel and take off. And that's what's going on with some of you today. You have locked in so much on what is unexplainable that you've lost sight of what is undeniable. And I'm telling you, if you would just focus on what is undeniable, your faith will soar. And many of the questions you have, many of the questions you have can't be answered by anybody. There are very smart men that can't give you the answers to some of the questions you want. So I find that what's best for me is to focus on what is undeniable. And I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is undeniable. So much so that if you would prove that it never happened, I would leave the faith. I would never preach again. You would hate my guts because I would live like a complete and total atheist. I would steal your cars. I would break into your house. You would hate me. The only good thing in me is Jesus. I'm just going to leave you with one question this morning. If you've never come to faith in Christ, could it possibly be that you have so focused on what is unexplainable that you can't see what is undeniable? We're going to give you the chance in just a minute to stand upon what is undeniable and come forward and say, you know what, there's a lot of stuff I don't have the answers to. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me, and I believe he rose from the dead, and I'm, I'm willing to go just on that. I hope you would consider that this morning. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. Let's pray together before we do that. Father, the questions mess us up. 
we got lots of questions. We can get PhDs in just about anything on this planet. There's a lot of knowledge out there, and we want as much of it as we can. It becomes pretty clear as we go through life that we're not going to know everything. Lord, I pray that we would focus in on what is undeniable. What is undeniable is that you have a love for us that is inexplainable. You saw us in need. You did not stay where you were, but you responded to our need. It was our sin problem. We didn't, you didn't create it. We created it. And you said, I, I love them enough that I'm going I'm to take care of their problem. And you sent Jesus. And it's by his death that we are forgiven. And we use all these preachy words like saved and came to Christ and all that. But at the end of the day, God, we were forgiven. The thing we needed the most, you gave it to us. Father, I pray in this moment that you would help those who are far from God to see that coming to you does not mean they have to dress a certain way or talk a certain way. Coming to you simply means that they have their sins forgiven. That they are set free. And that the thirst that they have and they feel so deeply in their soul can finally be quenched in Jesus. Lord, it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.